الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم Moving on to the next surah, it's very brief. The previous surah to this and the next surah moving backwards from the uh, end of the Quran is Surah Al Kawthar. In it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Inna a'atainaka al Kawthar, Fsalli Rabbika wanhar, Inna shani'aka huwa al Abdar. Indeed, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the uh, by the name of Allah the most gracious the merciful inna a'tainaka al-kawthar indeed we have given you al-kawthar abundant good fasalli li rabbika wanhar therefore pray for the sake of your lord or pray to your lord Wanhar, and sacrifice, i.e. To, for your Lord. Indeed, your detractor, or the one who hates you, indeed, the one who hates you, he is the one who is cut off. <coughs> Again, this surah was revealed in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And it's a Makkan surah, though some... Scholars are of the opinion that it was a Madani surah, but most agree that it's actually a Makkan surah, and that's shown by the backdrop to the revelation of the verse, uh, sorry, of the surah. The Prophet ﷺ was a victim of jibes and taunts and insults throughout his life and especially in Makkah al-Mukarramah where these taunts and jibes weren't simply hurled at him in his absence but rather to his noble face because these were the early days in Makkah and one of the insults hurled at him by more than one person such as Al-As ibn Wa'il Another person was Uqbat ibn Abi Mu'ayt. Another one was Abu Jahl. And another was actually his uncle, Abu Lahab. One of the insults hurled at him was that he was tailless. Without lasting progeny. Without surviving children. One who is cut off. One without firm roots that will survive after him. 
And before I continue, we have to understand the mentality of the community and the society and the environment of the Prophet ﷺ in which these words were delivered. The Arabs, as I've said on many occasions, I explained this in detail last week, the Arabs were a tribal society. There was no central authority, there was no government. It was a very primitive tribal society. And an individual could not survive in that hostile natural environment of the desert, as well as the hostile society of the time. One could not survive as an individual. One had to be part of a larger group in order to survive. Otherwise, one was easy prey and victim. And that large group was not just one's immediate family or a group of friends. Even friends didn't matter. One had to be backed up by a very powerful group and one had to belong to a very powerful group. And that sense of belonging is universal and eternal. Even today, uh, everyone needs that sense of belonging and that identity and that protection. Although the nation has replaced the sense of belonging and identity and the sense of protection from a tribe. But in those days, there was no government, there was no state, there was no concept of a nation per se. People were unable to survive on their own. They were parts of, they were part of a larger group. So each mem- each individual was a member of the immediate family. That's where they drew their strength and their protection from. And even their honour belonged to the family. So the family honour, there was no such concept of individual honour. Individual honour was family honour. Family honour was individual honour. And the honour of the family was the honour of the clan. And the honour of the clan was the honour of the family. And the honour of the clan was the honour of the tribe. And the tribe's honour was the honour of the clans. And so on. Maybe this is one of the reasons why the concept of honour is misunderstood. In any case. So the Arabs depended on their families. The families depended on the larger family. The extended relatives. The extended family depended on the clan. And the clan depended on the tribe. This meant everything. And only when we understand this will we be able to appreciate some of the verses of the Qur'an even in this context? Where Allah speaks of making people, Allah quotes some people in the Qur'an who speak about having more people, more sons, boasting of sons, wanting sons. And this was a reason because the Arabs felt in a tribal society that Daughters could not protect them in a violent society where there were raids and battles, wars, endless feuding, where people carried weapons with them all the time, and where dishonour could only be avenged by battle, where a person's life, wealth and property could only be protected by violence. It was a violent society. 
And in that society, again, being dependent on other people for protection, for strength and for authority, when it came to the individual, the individual first of all depended on the immediate family. And in the immediate family, for both wealth, income, and especially for physical protection, one depended on one's brothers and sons. And this is why the Arabs began to consider daughters a burden. And they prayed for, hoped for, and aspired to male sons. For them, that was their pride. And this is condemned in the Qur'an in numerous verses. We don't have time to actually go into it. But we have to remember this context. That the Arabs valued sons over and above everything else. To the extent of expressing grief and shame and actually hiding out of embarrassment at the birth of a daughter. Because for them, a daughter was to be considered a burden, not a boon, worthless. Someone on whom they would have to spend and spend and spend only for the daughter to marry and then go and live and serve someone else. So this is why the practice of infanticide, of burying their daughters alive, became, uh, well, this practice was known to the Arabs. It wasn't that widespread, it wasn't that common, but amongst some of the tribes it it did happen. And the Qur'an condemns that. And in fact, in some of the verses, as Allah says, وَإِذَا بُشَّرَ أَحْدُهُمْ بِالْأُنْثَى ظَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدًّا وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ يَتَوَارَى مِنَ الْقَوْمِ مِنْ سُوءِ مَا بُشِّرَ بِهِ أَوْ يُمْسِكُهُ عَلَى هُونٍ أَمْ يَدُسُّهُ فِي التُّرَابِ أَلَا سَاءَ مَا يَحْكُمُونَ That when one of them, Allah describes this, the scene, very vividly, when one of them is given the glad tidings of a daughter, the birth of a daughter, ظَلَّ وَجْهُهُ مُسْوَدًّا His face darkens. وَهُوَ كَظِيمٌ whilst he represses his angry grief. يَتَوَارَى مِنَ الْقَوْمِ He hides from the people. مِنْ سُوءِ مَا بُشِّرَ بِهِ because of the disaster of the news that he has been given. أَيُمْسِكُهُ عَلَى هُونٍ thinking to himself, should he hold on to the girl, to the newborn, with disgrace? أَمْ يَدُسُّهُ فِي التُّرَابِ or should he thrust her into the ground? Allah ends the verse by saying, Lo, evil indeed is the judgment they make about their daughters. And then in another verse, To Allah belongs the kingdom of the heavens and the earth. He creates what he wishes. He gives to whom he wills, girls. And he gives to whom he wills, sons. Or he gives to them both girls and boys. And then Allah ends the verse by saying, And he makes whomever he wishes barren. So this is Allah's choice and gift. Girls only, boys only, girls and boys, or no children at all. We don't possess the capacity with our feeble minds to understand the decree and the wisdom of Allah's Allah. But having said that, and in that environment, in that context, look at the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam married Umm al-Mu'mineen Khadijah radiyallahu anha. And then his first daughter was Zainab. The first child was a daughter. And then, according to a number of reports, well, he had four daughters. Zainab, Ruqayyah, Umm Kulthum, and Fatima, radiyallahu anhunna. And at some time in between, after Zainab radiyallahu anha, and possibly before Ruqayyah or after Ruqayyah, and between Ruqayyah and Umm Kulthum, and possibly thereafter, but definitely not after Fatima radiyallahu anha, in those early years in Mecca, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had at least two boys, two sons. Qasim was a first. And this is why the kunyah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was Abu al-Qasim, father of Qasim. And his first son was Qasim, born after Zainab radiallahu anha, not before. So his first child was a daughter. And when Qasim was born, Qasim died in his infancy. And then later, when his next son was born, Abdullah, who is also known as Tahir and Tayyib, when Abdullah was born, Again, he died in his infancy. And thus the Prophet ﷺ was left only with daughters. And in that primitive tribal society, which valued sons for protection and for carrying on the family honor and for carrying the family flag, in that kind of society, the chieftains of the Quraysh some of them who had many sons, they actually chose this point also to taunt the Messenger ﷺ and to say of him that he had only daughters and he had no male sons that survived and that both his male sons died in infancy. Qasim and Abdullah, also known as Tahir and Tayyib. So they actually used this as a taunt which they hurled against the Messenger ﷺ, that he has no sons. He has no sons who will carry on his mission. He has no sons who will continue with his family honor. He has no sons who will carry the family flag. He has no sons who will convey his message after him. He has no sons who will continue his family tradition and lineage after him. And that his daughters will disperse into other households, and that his progeny, his life, his line, his bloodline will come to an end. And at the same time, many of them had been blessed with strong, sturdy, warrior like sons, numerous. So this is what they said of the Messenger. And as I said, it wasn't just one person. Abu Lahab taunted him because of the his lack of male children, surviving male children. Abu Jahl taunted him. Uqbut ibn Abi Mu'ayt taunted him. Al-As ibn Wa'il taunted him. Other chieftains of the Quraysh taunted him. 
In fact, we learn from various narrations that some of the chieftains of the Madani populace that was against him also taunted him because of the lack of his male surviving sons. So in answer to that, Allah comforted him. After all, the Prophet was a human being. And he did grieve. He was saddened. He was at times overwhelmed by the opposition. But because of his human nature, he was saddened, he was grieved, he was hurt, he was pained. But again and again, Allah comforted him, granted him solace and strength. And that momentary human suffering of pain, of grief, was always overcome by the power of revelation. Indeed, everyone agrees that Surah Al-Kafirun, which we just discussed, was revealed in Mecca in the early years. There's no disagreement about that. And although I didn't mention this at the time, to speak about the strength of the Prophet ﷺ, he was calm. He never spoke loudly. He wasn't loud or violent or vociferous in his speech. He wasn't aggressive. He wasn't forceful. He wasn't forthright. He wasn't overbearing in any way. And he stood alone. He fathered only, he had only daughters, undoubtedly. He had no brothers, no sisters. He was born without a father, in the sense that uh, his, his father had passed away during his mother's pregnancy. And when he, when he came into this world, he came into this world in such a state that his father wasn't there. I don't mean he was born with... Uh, some, someone actually suggested that uh, when I say he was born without a father... Am I speaking of, a, of an immaculate conception, of a virgin birth? No. Muslims do not believe that about the Prophet Muhammad His father had died and left this world during his mother's pregnancy. And when he was born, his father wasn't there. That's what I mean when I say he was born without a father. He had no brothers or sisters and his mother died when he was six years old. That's how he grew up. And even now, no brothers, no sisters, no parents, and only daughters, no sons. And in Mecca, he stood up with a message. And when he proclaimed that message of the oneness of worship, of the oneness of Allah, he was opposed. The Prophet Muhammad at that time wasn't a leader. He wasn't even the chief of his clan. And his immediate family consisted only of his wife and his daughters and an adopted son, Zayd ibn Haritha, and a son whom he had looked after, but who was actually his cousin brother, Ali ibn Abi Talib. That was his immediate family. He, wasn't even the chi- he was only the head of that family. He wasn't the chieftain of, the, uh, of a clan or even of a tribe. Not even of a clan. And yet when he stood up with this message... Imagine his strength. He spoke softly, calmly, never vociferous, and totally non-violent. 
Yet when he stood up, he told Quraysh, he told the whole of Mecca, he told them that your worship is wrong. Your idols are helpless. Your idols are not worthy of worship, of your devotions. They argued with him. They contested him. They debated with him. They offered him compromises. And when they offered him a compromise of, you worship our gods for one year along with us, and then the year after we will collectively worship your god. What was his reply? Apparently being so weak, the head of only a family having only daughters, no sons, no brothers. Muhammad the son of Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam stood up to them and in reply to their offer of compromise, he said to them, قُلْ يَا أَيُّهَا الْكَافِرُونَ Say, O disbelievers, I do not worship what you worship, and you do not worship what I worship, and I am not one to worship what you worship, and you are not ones to worship what I worship, for you is your religion, and for me is my religion. Does that smack of weakness? So, he wasn't weak at all. And the sign of strength is not marked by the number of sons. In fact, current research, and you can go and look up, look this up, they actually suggest that men who are resilient and strong often produce, or often father, daughters, <coughs> girls. And they mention soldiers, leaders... Those who are highly driven, highly motivated, high achievers. Just one of those things. Go and check it up. Khairan. So the Prophet ﷺ was considered weak, tailless. That was the term, abdar, tailless. Without surviving progeny, without surviving children. Someone whose bloodline is going to come to an end. And this is what they used to taunt him. So... As I was saying earlier, before I mentioned Surah Al-Kafirun again, the Prophet ﷺ was a human being, and he was, at times, he was pained and grieved and hurt by these insults, jibes and taunts. But he was always comforted and consoled by Allah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him when his enemies spoke ill of him by taunting him about the death of his sons, or the lack of surviving sons, and that he will never have surviving sons. And that his mission, his prophethood, his claim, his message, his family, his lineage, his bloodline, and his family will all come to an abrupt end because he is cut off, he is tailless. When they taunted him thus, Allah consoled him with the words, Inna kawthar, O Prophet of Allah, indeed we have given you abundance. We have given you good in abundance. So much. Al-Gawthar means good in abundance. Al-Khayrul Kathir, abundance, good. And that includes everything. Does not Allah say to him in Surah Al-Duha that we found you an orphan and we gave you shelter. We found you in search and we guided you. And we found you in need 
and we enriched you. Allah gave him so much. All of that was from Al-Gawthar, the abundance good that Allah bestowed upon him. Allah granted him Al-Gawthar, abundance good in the world, as well as abundance good in the hereafter. And the abundance good in the hereafter. Uh, in fact, Allah says to him, Soon Allah will give you until you are content. Until you are content. Allah will continue to give you. And the Prophet ﷺ did not want in the world. What he wanted was in the hereafter for his ummah. So, <clears throat> Allah says, we have, given, we have given you abundance good. And part of that good in the hereafter is the river Al-Gawthar. Imam Muslim and Imam Bukhari and so many others. Well, Imam Muslim, rahmatullahi alayhi. Well, we learn from Bukhari, Muslim, and many other ahadith that the Prophet ﷺ has told us this is a collective meaning of all of these authentic narrations that Allah has granted him a river in Jannah. A river in the hereafter. That river is known as Al-Gawthar. And he's described it in many ways, one of the famous descriptions in his own words of the river of Jannah, which will be like a pond. And as wells and watering holes and large ponds and even rivers where people leave their containers in order to collect the water and drink. So he repeats again and again in a number of hadith, Aniyatuhu sama." That the cups of the river of Gothar are equivalent to the stars of the heaven. And in other hadith, authentic hadith, he's described the river as having, Al Gothar as having banks of gems, pearls. The soil and the riverbed of Al Gothar is a fragrant musk. And the taste of that water is sweeter than honey. And the pebbles over which the water of Al-Gawthar runs, creating that unique and soothing sound, the pebbles themselves are emeralds and pearls. Very elaborate description, but this is all from authentic hadith. In any case, this Al-Gawthar, indeed it is, uh, it's been called Al-Gawthar, it's been called the river Al-Gawthar. And in one hadith, Prophet sallallahu says that uh, people will approach Al-Gawthar and the angels will pull them out. They will be dragged out, away, pushed away from Al-Gawthar. And I will say to the angels, these are people of my ummah. And the angels will say to him in reply, they are not of your ummah. You do not know what they did after you. So... Al-Gawthar is indeed a river of Jannah. But Al-Gawthar is actually a part of the overall abundant good which Allah has given him. So Al-Gawthar doesn't just mean the river. The river is part of the abundant good that Allah has bestowed upon him. So inna a'atainaka Al-Gawthar, indeed we have bestowed abundant good on you. So in gratitude, فَصَلِّ لِرَبِّكَ وَنْحَرْ 
pray for the sake of your Lord and sacrifice for the sake of your Lord. Quite simply, again, he's being told, make your worship and your sacrifice distinct to the worship and the sacrifice of the pagans. The pagans, what was their manner of praying? Allah describes it in Surah Al-Anfar. وَمَا كَانَ صَلَاتُهُمْ عِنْدَ الْبَيْتِ إِلَّا مُكَاءٌ And their prayer around the house of Allah, the, pay, the prayer of the pagans, around the house of Allah was nothing but whistling and clapping. That they would actually dance. When they did tawaf around the Kaaba, it was a strange combination of circumambulation of performing tawaf and circling the Kaaba along with whistling and dancing and hooting and wailing. Very undignified. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, in contrast to that, pray for the sake of your Lord. And that's why, the, and, the, and they would sacrifice for the sake of their idols. So Allah says, sacrifice for the sake of your Lord. And indeed, this is something, when we look at the, the serenity and the dignified posture and composure of believers standing in salah. <coughs> Just that sight in itself is soothing. Watch a video of salah with its recitation, prayer with its recitation around the Kaaba. In Makkah al-Mukarramah. Total silence. Heads lowered. Eyes downcast. Multitudes standing in humility, in unison. With total dignity, silence and composure. And then the graceful, unified bowing, rising and falling into prostration. Without any choreography. Five times a day. And in Ramadan even more. All attentively listening to one reciter. Reciting for the sake of Allah. Reciting the words of Allah, the speech of Allah. And compare that to other scenes. The dignity, the serenity, the composure, the calming, soothing effect is in clear contrast. So Allah says, Pray for the sake of your Lord and sacrifice, i.e. for the sake of your Lord. Make your prayer and your sacrifice for the sake of Allah. Just as Allah tells the Prophet ﷺ again in Surah Al-An'am, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُّكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَهُ وَبِذَلِكُ أُمِرْتُ وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Allah commands him that say, indeed, my salah, my prayer. وَنُسُّكِي and my acts of worship, which include sacrifice. وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي and my living and my dying are all for the sake of the Lord of the worlds. He has no partner. And this is what I have been commanded to do. وَأَنَا أَوَّلُ الْمُسْلِمِينَ And I am the first of the Muslims, of those who submit. So Allah tells him, in gratitude for the abundant good which Allah has bestowed on you, pray for the sake of your Lord, 
pray to your Lord, sacrifice only for the sake of your Lord. Then Allah ends this very short surah of just three verses with the words, Indeed, again consoling him. The first consolation is that Allah has given you abundant good, therefore show gratitude. And do not worry about these taunts, these insults, these jibes. Do not worry. They say that you are the one who will have no progeny. They say you are the one whose bloodline will come to an end. They say that you are the one who is cut off, who is tailless, who will have no survivors. In fact, they would even say that his memory will come to an end. So Allah says, The one who hates you, he is the one who is cut off, not you. And that's what happened. The chieftains of the Quraysh, with their private guards and their private armies, and their mercenaries, and their wealth, and their power, and their influence, which extended to the courts of Byzantine Rome, and to Abyssinian, and to Abyssinia, and even Persia. These chieftains of the Quraysh perished. Today, there is no memory. And their survivors, if they did survive, were themselves were the followers of the Prophet Muhammad He had no surviving sons. And that's why Allah says of him in the Quran, in Surah Al-Ahzab, مَا كَانَ مُحَمَّدٌ أَبَا أَحَدٍ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ Indeed, Muhammad is not the father of any men amongst you. Indeed, he is only the father of surviving daughters. And even his daughters died during his life. Only one daughter survived in Fatima radiallahu anha. And six months after he left the world, she left. She joined him. He saw death and bereavement throughout his life. So Muhammad is not the father of any of the men amongst you. وَلَكِنْ رَسُولَ اللَّهُ وَخَاتَمَ النَّبِيِّينَ But rather he is a messenger of Allah and the seal of the prophets. He did not have a one surviving son. He had billions. Does not Allah say, The Prophet is closer to the believers than their own souls, and his wives are their mothers. He is, if his wives are their mothers, by law it's forbidden for them to marry them. But also, his wives are their mothers. This makes him the spiritual father of the whole ummah. And in fact, the sons and daughters of the Ummah love him, have always loved him, and will continue to love him more than they actually love their own parents. And he saw that in his own lifetime. Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, the chieftain of the hypocrites in Medina, taunted the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his son Abdullah, the son of Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul, father and son had the same name. His son Abdullah ibn Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul came to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam and actually said to him in a large company, he said, O Messenger of Allah, the words that my father has uttered, has uttered about you have reached my ears. O Messenger of Allah, if you wish... I will present the head of my father to you. Prophet ﷺ said, no, do not say anything to him. And before that, he actually said, Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul said, O Messenger of Allah, the people of Medina know that there is no son 
more devoted and more loyal to his father than I am to my father. But, O Messenger of Allah, if you as much as signal, I will present my father's head to you. And he said, no. The enemies of the Messenger who taunted him for not having sons, saw their own sons go over to him. Al-Walid ibn al saw his first son. And although he didn't survive to see his other son, Khalid ibn al-Walid radiyallahu an joined the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And that was the case with so many of them. Their sons and their daughters went over to the messenger. So although he did not have male issue of his own that survived, the ummah in its multitude became his children, spiritual children. So in the shani'aka huwa al-abtar. And far from, indeed it's your detractor, the one who hates you, who will be cut off. Far from the memory of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam being extinguished, Allah told him, وَرَفَعًا Because they taunted him. They said not only will his bloodline come to an end, his memory will fade. No one will remember Muhammad, the son of Abdullah, who was born an orphan, who lived an orphan, whose mother died when he was six, who had no brothers or sisters, who had no surviving male sons, whose daughters dispersed and went to different households. They said, such a man, no one will remember him, his memory will fade, far from his memory fading. Allah said to him in Surah Al-Nashrah, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ And we have elevated your mention. Jibreel came to him, alayhi salam, and said to him, O Messenger of Allah, when Allah says, وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ We have elevated your mention. Do you know what he means? The Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, No. Jibreel alayhi salam said to him, Allah has taken it upon himself, that never will his name be mentioned, except that your name will also be mentioned in conjunction with the name of Allah. And we see that. In salah, in prayer, in tashahud, at the beginning of the speech, at the end of the speech, in gatherings, in prayer, in pilgrimage. When coming into the world, adhan is given in the ear of the child. When a person leaves this world, leaves this world, Janazah has prayed over him, Salatul Janazah. And even when he is lowered into the grave, Bismillah wa ala millati Rasulillah, in the name of Allah, and upon the religion of the Messenger of Allah. Being born, dying, marrying, at moments of joy, sorrow, and in prayer every single day, we hear the name of the Messenger of Allah. And even if someone chooses not to mention it, Far even those who would want to defy the mention of his name when the call to prayer goes out. Even to those who don't wish to pray, the Mu'addin says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu Allah ilaha illallah, Ashadu anna Muhammad rasulullah Ashadu anna Muhammad rasulullah So warafa'na laka dhikrak, we have elevated your mention. Far from his bloodline coming to an end, far from his memory fading, Allah has made his mention eternal. Allah has elevated it. And his no male sons may have survived him. But who is there who wouldn't want to be who wouldn't want to be called the son of the Messenger of Allah?
the sons of his taunters and detractors went over to him. The daughters of his detractors went over to him and actually married him. Safiya ibn Tuhiya ibn Akhtab. Ramla, the daughter of Abu Sufyan. Safiya, the daughter of Huya ibn Akhtab. And so on. This brings us to the end of Surah Al-Kawthar. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand the words of Allah. Wassallallahu wasallam ala abdihi wa rasulih nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadhul Haq and has been brought to you by Al-Kawthar Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions, all rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.